Well, good morning to you. Great to see y'all. Uh, my name is Ed. I'm the uh, teaching pastor here at our campus in Westerville. If you are new to LifePoint, grateful to have you with us. I want to draw your attention to one thing. Uh, if you're a guest today, take out your phone, turn on your camera, and put on a QR code on the chair in front of you, and that'll take you to a landing page called LPGuest. Dot com. That is our online connect card. So all the information you want to know about our church, you can find there. Uh, there's uh, sermon notes and there's uh, different events happening. Uh, if you want to follow along in the sermon notes, you can literally you know, pull those up and, and put your, take your own notes in that. You can email them to yourself if you want a record of what God's been working in you today. Uh, there's also uh, the guest information button. If you fill that out, uh, click that button, fill out some information, take you just a few, few seconds, really. Let us know how you heard about LifePoint. At the bottom, there are five Five different ministries that we support from all of our campuses. And uh, if you check one of those boxes that you think is most interesting to you, we'll do an extra $5 donation to that ministry uh, in your honor, just to say thanks for coming. And it's a great way to connect with all the guests at our campuses today to do something good. So uh, that's what I would say to every guest. I hope that you'll do that. Uh, for everyone else, if you call LifePoint your home and you have not downloaded the app, I want to encourage you to do that. If you, you know, search your app store and you go to LifePoint Ohio, that's the important part, LifePoint Ohio. You'll see the little blue starburst. Click on that one, download it, and then when you open it, hit Westerville, so you get the notes from Westerville, and then you can follow along in your sermon notes. There's also gonna be, uh, right, almost the first thing you see when you open up your app now is gonna be the Drivecast. That is a five-minute devotional that all the teaching pastors do from every campus uh, on the basic passage of, that we share today. We do a five-minute devotional, so you can hear everyone's take on that during, throughout the week. But coming in January, we're gonna do a series from 1 Thessalonians, and we are going to do, uh, we're going to ask everyone read through 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to have that connected to the Drivecast, so you can hear the teaching from that particular passage in Thessalonians, and then also have the like little devotional to read along with it. So that's just something that I want to encourage you over the next several weeks to get, uh, so that you'll have to be ready for that coming January. All right, that's it. I was uh, thinking about something as I was uh, preparing for this message today, about how um, my wife and two daughters and I typically eat dinner together most nights. So maybe six out of seven nights, sometimes five, depending on how things go. You guys know the flow of your family. Uh, but we try to say that's the time when we're all going to come together and eat at the table together and spend time together and connect. Well, it's, it's just something that we do at every dinner table. I have a question for the family. Now, most of the questions are complete nonsense. Like, I might say something like, uh, hey, you know, if you were born with a superpower, what do you hope your superpower would be? Right? That's a typical question. Or, uh, we do this one a lot. If you're on a deserted island, and we had to be there for 30 days, and you can only bring one album that drops, what album would you have to listen to? Which one would you want for 30 days straight? And so, it's really just meaningless. We, we talk together, and we share together, we laugh together. That's normal. But sometimes, I ask more serious questions. And it's just a way for us to connect. And a lot of times they're faith-based questions. I'm asking about what God's doing in them. But I asked a question several weeks ago. I said, and I was aiming it towards the kids because I'm trying to help them connect, you know, and help share with us. I said, who's the person in your life? Who's the friend in your life you trust more than anything? Like you tell them anything. You would do anything. Like if you had to hide a body, that would be your person, right? So... I asked the question, and the girls are saying, well, this person, this person. I'm like, well, didn't you just kind of meet that person? Yeah, but we've really connected. And so I'm, they're just sharing and, you know, connecting. And it occurred to me, I'm like, well, Tammy, what about us? I said, I said, the way I think it applies to us is, who's the person in our lives that you would hand your pin and bank account info to? 
And then we immediately said a lot of people that we would not do that with. Like, most of them were related to. We're like, oh, I definitely wouldn't give it to, you know, we're laughing. And then we both looked at each other and we're like, Emily. We would give our pen to Emily. This is a picture of Emily. Uh, this comes from way back when she was in college. I was a pastor of a church at Ohio State, and she was one of our students there. And I had known her family and, you know, for a long time. But we talked often about this whole concept that our whole lives were ambassadors for Christ. It comes from 2 Corinthians 5.20. We live our lives on behalf of the message of the gospel. And so that's kind of like the thing that, you know, we, we talked about. And because of that, she kind of adopted that idea that she was going to be ambassador for her whole life. And so that was kind of a picture from her, what she put up in her, in her room. Well, she, as she graduated college, she became kind of our financial director for our church. And our church, who was struggling at the time, because it was a little, you know, a little college church, she actually helped it grow, and we had great resources by the time she finished her run there uh, at that church. It was, it was incredible to see, and we just trusted her. Now, I bring it up because we're in a series we're calling Kingdom Values. And in this series, what we're saying is that living in the kingdom means giving towards things that matter. So we're talking a lot about finances during this series, and the reason so is that LifePoint doesn't really talk about giving very often. We've done a couple of giving campaigns in five years, and other than that, we really haven't talked about it much. But Jesus talks about it a lot. And I think we do a disservice by not talking about it because finances really become the thing that become an idol in our life. And it's because it makes us feel so secure, Finances have a way of kind of getting a hold of us and literally getting a hold of our heart. And that's, that's the thing that keeps us from actually trusting God. And so we want to talk about that. And during the series, it's not a giving campaign. It's about releasing the bondage that money can have on your heart. That's what we're talking about in the series. The thing is, though, what I've experienced in my life, and I'm guessing many of you have experienced the same thing, is that it's not easy to trust God. I mean, I can trust God with my salvation because that's what it means to be in the kingdom of God. Like, you can't become a citizen of the kingdom of God unless you hear the message of the gospel, right? That God has always wanted his people. This isn't a kingdom that he holds tight in geography. This is a kingdom that's advancing throughout the world. And he shares the message of the beauty of the cross, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, for all the things that we did and say, God, I want to be the king of my own life, right? And that breaks our relationship. And because heaven is eternal, he doesn't bring broken people into the kingdom. That's our problem. But God's love for us is so rich and deep that he sends his son to die on a cross. He dies, he pays a penalty, and the, the tomb is now empty because Jesus rose from the grave. The justice was paid in full, and the grace and mercy of on, is on display in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So now that he's alive, he's our king forever. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. But he also sends his Holy Spirit into the world so that all of us have the opportunity to receive that grace and mercy by repenting of trying to be the king of our own life and saying, Jesus, I want you to be my king. Will you please forgive me my sin? When you make that decision, the Holy Spirit comes in you and you become a citizen of the kingdom of God. That's the beauty of the kingdom of God. You, you can't get in by acting a certain way. You, you come in by humility of receiving Christ. That's, that's the kingdom. It's easy to trust for me. Now, not everyone in the room, but for me, when I heard that message and really understood, I'm like, yes, I'm in. I'll take that. I want to be a citizen. Those weren't the words I used. I was a little kid, but I, I wanted to follow Jesus. It's easy to trust for that, but for lots of things, it's just not easy to trust him with. Finances are one of those things, but maybe... You know, I found that trusting him with my health, with my kids, my gosh, God, there's so many things I want to protect with my kids. He's like, I got it, I got it. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I understand, but I'm trying to trust you. But I, 
I want to make sure. I mean, aren't there things like that in your life where it's a struggle to trust God? What I found is for most people, and not for everyone, but for most people, finances are one of those things it's just hard to trust God with. Would you give God your bank account and your pen? That's the question. And here's what I also know is true that I've experienced is that every time I take a step of faith towards God, when I trust him in any of the areas I mentioned and many more, wherever I, I learn to trust him, he enters into that and I experience his peace. That's the beauty of faith. When you take a step towards God, he meets you there. And then worship just changes because you're experiencing God. It's no longer a song that I like. It becomes the worship of my heart blurting out to God. We all want peace and then we also want the blessing of God on our life. We want to know that he's got his hand on us in every area. But you won't experience the peace of God and his blessing unless you take a step of faith. You have to trust him. There has to be a step somewhere. He'll meet you no matter how small that step is. He will meet you in that step and you will start to experience his peace and his blessing. And this much I also know, everybody wants that. Even people who are skeptical of God, deep down when it comes to hard times in their life, they want God to know. I mean, will you, are you with me, God? Will you put your hand of blessing on me? Will you, will, you, will you interact with my circumstances? We all want peace and his blessing. We all want that, but we're not going to experience it without trusting him. So in this particular series, we're talking about finances. We're, how do we trust him there? That's the question that we're going to ask today. And, and I hope that this passage will speak to you. I, I found three things in it I'm going to share that I think are true, I think are helpful. It's found in Mark chapter 12. Uh, let me give you the first one is this, is that Jesus sees beyond the surface. What you and I see is what we can easily see. And when we make decisions based on what we see, Jesus always sees beneath that. He sees the real truth what, that we sometimes struggle to see. We can't discern like he can. In context, Jesus is at the last week of his life. He's already been with his disciples and he's been teaching them for three and a half years and he's been doing miracles. He's walked on water. He's calmed a storm. He rose someone from the grave. I mean, he turned a small lunch into a banquet. I mean, all the great stuff that he's done, but this is the end. He's coming in. It's a few days before the crucifixion and he's in the temple. Now in the temple, the way that people would meet during Passover is people came from all over the known world who were Jewish and they wanted to celebrate the Passover. So they're all coming there to celebrate. But when you come into the temple, there are four different courts. So the Outside court is the court of the Gentiles. That means if you're not a Jew, if you weren't born Jewish, you can come in and connect. That's what you can do. That's where you might have seen the money changers and things like that. The second court is the court of the women. This means that women, there was a barrier for women. They could only go this far. There were also men in that court, but this is as far as women could go to kind of connect with God. And then there was a next court, the court of the men, which is not what we're talking about today, but that's a, another court. And then beyond that, there's the, you know, the entrance into where the priests go. And there's inside, there's a room, the Holy of Holies, that there's a curtain that divides so that no one can go that far. So there's all these layers that you can't get to God. And finally, there's a curtain saying no one goes back there but the high priest. And that's where he takes the, the blood of atonement once a year. So in this particular setting, Jesus has been watching the, the religious elites out there speaking and teaching. And he kind of he kind of reprimands them. If you read in a different section, he's reprimanding them because they devour widows' finances. And I'll explain how they do that in a minute. He's, he's reprimanding them and he calls his disciples over and they go to sit down in the court of the women. Here's what happens next. Verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. 
And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now before we talk about any financial trust, I want you to see this truth that Jesus sees beyond the surface. This moment, he's sitting there and people are throwing money in these boxes and he's sitting with his guys. Now look, these guys, they don't realize it at the moment, but they're about to lose Jesus. They also don't realize it, but these are the guys, they're gonna be the foundational pieces that he's gonna use to advance the kingdom of God. And they need to know this lesson. And this isn't a money lesson. This is a trust lesson. He sits down and he shows them something. Look at this woman. Do you see her? She's done more than all the other people. That's what he's saying. He sees her. I want you to think about that. He could have drawn their attention. Did you see how much that person gave? No, he said, look, did you see the woman? Did you notice her? He sees her. He sees beneath what's actually happening. I bring it up because if you're ever going to trust God with your finances, don't you have to trust God? So how do you develop trust with anyone? With anyone. To develop trust with someone, you have to believe that that person cares about you in spite of who you are. They accept you for who you are. They even see your flaws and say, you know what? I value you anyway. That's how you develop trust. Common context, experiences, things like that. And over time, you develop a deep trust with someone and you relish those kind of relationships, right? How are you going to trust God? Well, you would have to believe that Jesus sees you absolutely sees you and knows you for the worst of who you are and says, I value you anyway. So what does he see? He sees a widow, someone who has really not much to offer God, and yet he sees her as completely valuable. Do you see that? I think that's the beautiful thing of the passage. He sees her for her heart rather than what she's offering in the, in the treasury. I bring it up. I was thinking about a story in scripture. Uh, it's found at the end of chapter one of the book of John. Now, when, when God was getting ready to bring Jesus into the world, he put a guy in charge named John the Baptist. He said, John, I want you to go and I want you to make everyone ready because the, the Messiah is coming. And John the Baptist had one message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the word repent basically means to turn. And he was basically telling the people, look, you're living your life for you. You're sinning. I want you to turn away from that and turn towards God with your life. And here's why. Because something big was about to happen and they were going to miss it because that's what sin does. Sin blinds us to the reality of all the things that God is actually doing. And so John the Baptist told everyone, turn away from that. If you're doing this, turn away, do this. Don't do that, don't do that. I mean, he's telling people, repent. And he had a lot of followers. I mean, he became super popular. Like, he was a celebrity in Israel before there was any social media. You know what I'm saying? Like, this guy's viral, and he's got all these people following him, and Jesus comes on the scene, and the first thing John does is, that's him. That's the one I was talking to you about. That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And from that point forward, John's ministry decreased, and a lot of his guys went over to follow Jesus. Two of those guys were John and James the brothers, they immediately started following Jesus because they trusted John. They went to follow Jesus. They go to follow Jesus and they talk Andrew into coming. Andrew has a brother named Peter. You guys have heard of Peter. Like now they're all following Jesus. Then a guy named Philip, he's going to follow Jesus. And Philip has a buddy named Nathaniel. And at the end of John, it talks about this interaction. He goes to Nathaniel and says, Nathaniel, come on. I want you to follow the Messiah. We found him. His name is Jesus from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's like, 
From Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, this is a guy who's been waiting for a Messiah. And at that time, Rome was so oppressive, and they had read all the promises of a Messiah coming, and they were waiting for a Messiah to come and kick Rome out. That's what they wanted. And Nathaniel loved God. He was a true Israelite. He wanted the Messiah to come. But he's looking at the, at the prophecies and thinking, from, from Nazareth? He's a skeptic. So Philip leads him. They get up, and what does Jesus say? Jesus looks right past Philip, sees Nathaniel, and says, there you are. There's a, a true Israelite. No guile in you, Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's like, you don't, you don't know me. Like, how do you know me? And Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip came and got you. And Nathaniel goes, you're, you're the son of God. Now, I want you to think about that, because you can read that, and you're like, that's it? That's all it took for Nathaniel to be a skeptic to all in with Jesus. That's it? What happened? Like, was Jesus walking by and like, oh, I see you there. Um, and then later, oh, yeah, you're the guy I saw there. Do you think that's what did it to prove to him to not be a skeptic? This is the problem. It's incomplete. It doesn't tell us what happened. But we know something happened. Typically, a man who, who wanted to get away and get alone, he might find a place where he's going to go wrestle with God. He would pray. And the implication is that something was happening under this fig tree between Nathaniel and God. Something was happening in his life. And look, movies try to depict this as best they can, but we don't know what happened. But this was between Jesus and Nathaniel. And it was enough. Whatever that personal interaction was enough for Nathaniel to go, you saw me. Okay, I'm in. Look, here's what I'm trying to say. You guys came in today and you guys got stuff in your life. I know it, you know it. And you, you know, people see you on the surface and how you doing, you're like, I'm fine, fine. But you have stuff. I know some of your stuff. I don't know many of you and your stuff, but you got stuff. It's, it's, it's family stuff. It's relationship junk. Some of your marriages, you feel like I'm, I'm just holding on here. Some of you aren't satisfied in life. You, your finances are crumbling. Some of you have diagnosis stuff. You've got a friend or a loved one who's sick. You've got people in addiction. You have stuff in your life. And you need to know that God sees you. Jesus sees you. He knows what's going on. And you don't blend into seven billion people. You're not a sea of humanity. He actually knows every detail. He sees you. And if you're ever gonna trust him, you need to know that he not only sees you, but that he loves you and values you in spite of your stuff, in spite of your sins, in spite of your flaws, in spite of your doubts. He absolutely sees you. If you're gonna move forward in, in anything, you have to know that he sees you. It, he saw the widow. He saw Nathaniel. But we do have to talk about the financial part because it's important to answer the question, how am I gonna trust God with finances? And here's the second thing is that Jesus pointed out that generosity is measured by sacrifice. Generosity is measured by sacrifice. Remember, he's sitting there, and all these guys are putting in big sums of money, and they sit down and says, did you see the widow? Verse 44, for, for these people, they all gave out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty. She sacrificed. Generosity is measured by sacrifice. This widow sacrificed both coins, even though she was under no obligation to do so. I have a buddy that did some research on this and, and kind of clued me into it. And I did some other research and found out that in the court of the women, there were 13 different uh, treasury boxes. 
And the way they were set up was you could make offerings at certain times during the year, but these treasury boxes were always there at the temple to make goodwill offerings. You could just go as an, on your own and just make these offerings. But people would go, especially when the big crowds were there, and they would go and they would throw in their money because the way the boxes were set up, there was like, I think it was like a trumpet that goes down and you would throw all your coins in and it would make all this noise as it's rattling down to go into the treasury boxes. So people who wanted to put in lots of money and make kind of a statement, they would throw the money in there make some noise. And then everyone would be like, oh my gosh, you hear how much I got gave? Like, oh, she's, you know, every, that's how you kind of made a name for yourself. You're generous. But a woman, this woman, this widow gave two little coins. You've probably heard this if you've been around the old King James. It was the widow's mite. She gave the little widow's mite. Well, I had a buddy named Daryl who actually had a widow's mite and gave it to me. Uh, I want to show you this little widow's mite. Uh, I don't know if you can see that from here because it's so tiny. It's about the size of a tip of a finger. And uh, he got one of these and gave it to me. And so I'm going to leave it up here so that if you want to see an actual widow's mite, I'll leave it up here on this table after the service. And if you want to show your kids or you want to see it, it's kind of cool. Don't come up during the service because it's going to be really awkward. And I won't be able to explain that to everyone. Like, <laughs> nice to see you. Okay. All right. So wait till after and don't take it because someday I want to show it to other people. You know what I'm saying? Like, and God's watching, right? So he saw you, remember? Um, <laughs> But it is pretty cool. And, but it's just this little tiny, almost worthless looking coin. So imagine, in the midst of all these people who are throwing in big coins, she throws in a couple, couple little widow's mites. Little. But it was all she had. I mean, she threw in these two. How could it have even made a noise? And he sees her. You sacrificed. She didn't have to do that. The sacrifice that someone makes is typically because they love. We sacrifice for those we love and the things we love. Think about the things that you buy. And mostly it's because you really love your life and you want something to make you happy and so you buy a thing. Some of you guys really love the Buckeyes. Like you'll, you'll spend like and make a whole room dedicated to the Buckeyes. I look at some of those rooms and I think I want one of those rooms. You make me jealous. You're, you're actually injuring me by inviting me to your house to see these beautiful rooms. So we, we spend money on things. We sacrifice for things that we love. We sacrifice for those that we love. I mean, who, you know, if, you, if you're a parent, like you, you sacrifice for your kids. You'll spend, why? Because you love them. You want to give them opportunities and, and chances to do things you didn't get to do. You, we all understand how it works. This woman sacrificed greatly. You know, the religious elites, they were the ones who, who would make, you know, prayers out loud and try to draw attention to themselves. And, and they would throw in the coins and make all kinds of noise. But let me tell you what else some of the religious elites did. When a, when a widow would would become a widow, she would, you know, if someone came up to marry her, then she was taken care of. If she didn't have someone to marry her and she was on her own, she could go to one of the religious elites and she could give them an offering and they would pray for her, pray that God would intercede. And the way they kind of devoured widows' money is that they say, okay, you want me to pray some more? More, more money. And they would devour widows' money. These people took advantage of widows. Jesus is saying, this is not okay. He's not for that. He reprimanded them. And yet this woman still gave. Why did she give? Well, she, she sacrificed because she loved God. So here's the thing, all right? How do we develop that kind of sacrificial giving towards God? How do we, how do, we do that? Here's what I would say in my experience, that it doesn't come naturally. Some people, you have a gift of giving. That's not your issue. But for most people, you have to start by cultivating 
uh, a love for God when it comes to and sacrifice. Now, a couple weeks ago, we talked about that passage that said that, um, you know, where your, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But you have to learn to put your treasure towards the kingdom of God and your heart will follow. You will naturally start to love the things you invest in. And so for me, you know, I had to learn. I had to learn that, and, and we talked about this last week, I had to learn that it's not mine. Okay, so this, this isn't mine. Okay, so all of my stuff, my money, my time, my, my resources, it's his, and I need to be open-handed and allow God to move things in and out. That was a lesson I had to learn. And it started by learning to give and invest in the kingdom of God. So here's what I'm asking everyone to do, and this is what we're asking our entire church to do this, and some of you have already done this, is to fill out an annual commitment card. And for some of you, this is not your issue. You've been through two giving campaigns, and you have, you've already, like, you're... you're you're really sacrificial. All we're asking you to do is do math, and it helps us plan because you know that we have things that we want to do, right? Like, we realize that we want to, we want to build a bigger parking lot. We know we would love to make a bigger building, play, get a place for our students. We want all those things, but as God gives, that's when we are responsible to, to allow God to expand the things that, that he's going to do in and through our church. And, of course, we want to see church plants go out. We want to help church planters and missionaries, and you're going to hear about some of that stuff. But that helps us plan. But for you, and this is for the person that you call LifePoint your home, and you just really haven't been giving, or maybe it's been sporadic. We're asking you to commit to something. So what does that mean? I told you last week that for some people, there's you know, the old standard barrier of the tithe. That's an Old Testament word that means 10%. For some of you, maybe that's your step, and to write that down. For others, though, that's never been your thing. Like you've never been that, and 10% might wreck your budget. Here's what I would tell you. Don't do that. But give something. But make it sting a little bit. If it doesn't sting, if there's not a sacrifice, then you're simply giving out of your overflow. So commit something and learn to allow God to meet you there. He will. In fact, it's the only place in God He says, go ahead and test me on this. Watch what I do. Commit the full, you know, the full giving to me. Commit the tithe. You know, God loves a cheerful giver. Just do that and watch what I do. And here's what I found. God always meets people where they're at when they take a, take a step of faith. So that's what we're asking you to do. You can go in the sermon notes and there's a link. You can click on that and uh, you'll go right there. It's a really super intuitive thing to fill out. If you don't, you can go to the website, lifepointohio.com and it's the first little pop-up. You can fill it out there. We're asking everyone to do that by the 20th. Now, most of our staff and a lot of you have already started doing that. We're asking you to do that. Take a step and learn to invest in the kingdom of God. But here's the thing. This isn't just about money, okay? This talk, even though she's putting in these two incredible, valuable things to her, but not much to the kingdom, there's a lesson here he's trying to teach the disciples. And here's the last point. It takes a lot of trust to be truly generous. It takes a lot of trust to be truly generous. Remember, he said, he said to them in verse 44, but they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. How do you do that? Like, she's, she's not sure what's gonna happen with her life. Maybe she has someone who's helping provide food and, and clothing. We don't, we don't really know what's happening in her family. But it says that she had two coins. And even though they weren't valuable, she gave them both under no obligation. She sacrificed because she trusted God. Well, you can't be generous without trusting God. That's the connection. To be truly generous is to trust God. That's it. And here's where I think this is the key. A generous person is a generous person based on a characteristic of their character. 
That's them. They've become generous. But it doesn't just happen overnight. Now, some of you might have been raised in a certain kind of home and got really good morals on that, and, and that became your life. But most people weren't. So how do you become a generous person with your life? And, it, and as you trust, it'll also be reflective in your finances for sure. But a generous person is generous with much more than just money. They're generous with their love. They're generous with their resources. They're generous with their time. Generosity is a characteristic trait of a person. How do you get that? I had a guy come to me one time and said, you know, Ed, uh, he had just given his life to Jesus. and goes, I, I, I want to I pay God back. He's done so much in my life. I, I want to be a pastor. I want to serve God. I said, can I talk to you, buddy, about the towers from 9-11? He's like, yeah. I said, do you remember what happened? He's like, yeah. I'm like, do you know when the planes hit? The planes aren't what really took the buildings down. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, look, they were built in such a way to withstand the jumbo jet hitting them. And that's exactly what happened. The jet hit there and it didn't knock the towers down. What happened was the heat went so high that the steel started to melt. And once the melted steel happened, they collapsed themselves and all the buildings came down. He's like, what does that have to do with me being a pastor? I'm like, dude, just pay attention. (laughs) I said, here's the deal. Steel has a character trait of a certain amount of heat that it can withstand. But once it gets above that, it's going to break. I said, for God to put you in a position to really, you know, make a difference, you're going to have to have character. And he's going to have to build you through heat. It's the only way to make heat a certain strength anyway. You have to heat it. God will bring heat into our life to grow us, to strengthen us so that we have character. And that's exactly what happens when it comes to generous people. They have to withstand lots of things in their life with God to learn to trust him. And as they learn to trust him, he builds character. And one of the character traits of generosity happens when you trust God. You see how they're connected? He's trying to build that character trait in our lives. And when he does that, yes, it'll reflect in finances. You know what could happen? Is that you listen to this message like, all right, Ed, fine, what do I have to give? And you turn it into an obligation. And that's exactly what these guys were doing, throwing coins in. It was just an obligation. And look, and that makes you a good person. That's great. But a generous person is someone who just cooperates with God with their life. It's not about the amount. The widow was the most generous person in the whole temple. We need to be generous people because God's trying to build trust in us. That's what he wants in the kingdom of God. He wants your heart. He doesn't need your stuff. He wants your heart. He wants all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul. That's what he wants. It's personal to him. I, I want to sh- share with you a story of a person who I, I think lives generously. Uh, Remember earlier I brought up Emily at the beginning? Well, let me tell you a little bit about Emily. Uh, Emily was a brilliant kid. She, I don't even understand what she studied, but I know she did underwater robotics at Ohio State, and somehow that landed her a job at Battelle. And whatever she did for Battelle, I think it was engineering something. Like, she wasn't actually allowed to tell me what she did at Battelle, which I'm like, that's fine. But I know this, she made a ton of money at Battelle. Uh, She was, like, doing pretty good out of college. And then she told me when she was in college, she said, um, you know, Ed, if ever I meet a guy, like the guy, will you just look at him, kind of pay attention to him and tell me if you think he's a good dude? I'm like, Emily's asking me to do like a dad thing, you know? I'm like, I felt so honored. You know, we had built a great relationship, Tammy and, and Emily and I, and they're like, you know, this is kind of cool. Like, she's like a daughter to me, right? So I said, sure, of course. Well, she meets this guy named Chris. Now, here's the deal with Chris. Chris is an awkward dude, socially awkward, and he's super like, no emotion. Like, he is a straight line. He's that guy. And he's socially awkward. And he has a really weird sense of humor. And because he has a weird sense of humor, like, some people don't get his humor, which makes it even more awkward. Now, I love this humor. I thought he was, like, super funny. I loved him. But, like, he can be awkward. And what I'm about to tell you might sound bad, but just, just roll with me. 
he didn't look like Clark Kent. You know what I'm saying? So in a room, when he walks in, a lot of the girls weren't going to like eyeball Chris. But anyway, Chris and Emily started going on dates and they started to date a little bit and they're dating a little bit. And I thought, you know, I should probably go talk to Chris. I go have a conversation with Chris and I meet Chris. I sit down with him and, and we're just talking about life, talking about faith, what God's doing in his life. And, and in the conversation, I say, hey, tell me about you and Emily. He's, he just kind of lights up. He's like, oh man, she's the greatest. And he's going on and on and on about Emily. I said, what are you learning about relationships? He goes, well, I'm learning she really likes to talk. Now, Chris hadn't dated a whole lot. And uh, I said, well, Chris, tell me what you mean. She likes to talk to you? He goes, yeah, she really likes to talk. Uh, you know, sometimes I work late. And uh, one night I was getting off work. It was like a Friday night and I got sick. And so I was sick all weekend. So I just went home. I didn't call her. I slept all day Saturday. I woke up Sunday morning feeling better. I called her and she was kind of upset with me. And I'm like, okay. He said, so I realized she really, she likes it when I communicate with her. I said, okay, how's that changing your relationship? He goes, well, I realize she gets up really early in the morning because she has to work super early. And I work late most nights. So we really struggle sometimes. So I realized, and I started setting my alarm for 5 a.m. I wake up and then I call her before work. And that's when we usually talk. And then I just go back to bed and go to work. I thought, man, what? That is super sweet. So Emily wanted to know my opinion. We sat down one day and she goes, what do you think? I said, well, Emily, I've... I've done a lot of weddings, met a lot of people. At every wedding, there's this line that people usually do in the vows, to love and to cherish. I said, let me explain to you. If you ever find a guy who loves Jesus, but is willing to cherish you by getting up at 5 a.m. just to talk to you because it matters to you, I said, that's cherish. You want to grab a guy like that in your life. Now, that has nothing to do with this sermon. I just wanted every parent in the room to hear that. <laughs> Tell your kids right? If you're a young man, take note, right? Here's the deal. Um, my non-emotional, straight Chris, awkward Chris, one of the greatest weddings I've ever done in my life, I watched her walking down the aisle. I look over at Chris and he is bawling his eyes out. It was so sweet just to watch. Those two live generously. They, you know, they both had great jobs coming out of college. He, was, uh, he worked his way up to become a general manager of a local restaurant. She was working at Patel, and they were doing great, paying off all their debts. Uh, they actually helped plant LifePoint Westerville. They gave lots of their time and resources. They were incredible givers financially, yes, but they gave time and energy and effort to help serve to make sure that we got off on the right foot. But here's the thing. Way back when, when they were in college, they daydreamed about what it would look like to live as an ambassador, to, to live their life for Christ. And one of the ways that they loved that was to, to serve God in their hearts. They loved nature. And she had done a lot of work with horses and she daydreamed about one day using her love for horses to help like underprivileged kids connect to God. And so she daydreamed and prayed and prayed and prayed that God would give her an opportunity to do that. And Chris, with his love of management and knowing how to do things, God gave him an opportunity to go work out at a, like a retreat center. And she was going to use her love of horses and, and connection to help these kids who were coming to camp. And he, because he's the manager, could run kind of things in the camp. The thing is, though, they had two great jobs. I mean, super great jobs. Now, they went out there, they got offered like 25% of what they were making. And they quit their jobs. And her parents were like, Emily, um, Emily, listen, I, I know this is your dream. I know you feel like God put this on your heart. But Emily, this is dumb. Like, you're, you have a career, and it's a great career. You're making all kinds of, why don't you save up lots of money, and that way you can give to the kingdom and do all kinds of things. She goes, I'm going to give to the kingdom. Me, whatever he wants. And let me tell you something. I've never seen two more content and beautiful, generous people 
Now, they don't have the money they had back then, and yet they're more content than I've ever seen most people in life. Isn't that interesting? Incredible. I have some financial advisor friends who tell me, Ed, you'd think people who have a lot of wealth would be super happy, but they're not. And a lot of times they're not content at all. And you might think in this room, you came in and you're like, yeah, but widows might, that's like nothing, right? We can't, you can't give away everything you have here. You can't do that. But let me tell you what, what Paul would say to you. This is what he said about money. And in 1 Timothy 6, he said, verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from their faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. What he's saying is that, look, it's not bad to have money. That's not evil at all. Money is benign. There's nothing wrong with money. If God gave you billions of dollars, that is his gift to you. Great. But if you love money, here's what happens. It gets a hold of your heart, and then it ruins your life. So what happens if you do have money, and you're trying to live a generous life? Verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to put their... You know, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This is what I want for you, and I think God wants for you, and in the kingdom of God, he wants you to take hold of that which is truly life. And it's gonna come by trusting God, And as you trust God more and more in any area of your life, he's gonna enter into that. And you're naturally gonna become a more generous person. Why? Because as God gets a hold of your heart more and more, God at this root is generous. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. He's a generous God. It says in that passage, even if you had a bunch of money, God gave it to you to enjoy. Just don't let it hold your heart. Don't let it get a hold of you and grab your life. Use it well. Be ready to share and take care of people. Absolutely. Don't show it off and make it your identity. That's what it means to be haughty. Don't make it like your thing. But to truly be generous. That's what he's trying to do in us. And you take a hold of the life that God actually has for you. When my buddy, my financial advisor buddy told me that people who have a lot of money, you would think they'd be more content, but they oftentimes are not. What kind of life is that? He said, and I've met people, Ed, who have very little to live on and they're more content and more generous than you can imagine. How does that happen? It's just a better life. That's what God wants for us. And let me just say that as you came in today, whatever you're going on in your life, if it's hard, know that he sees you, but he's probably doing something in you to build you so that you'll trust him more in your life. Know that he's walking with you. And whatever area of your generosity that God's trying to tell you to take a step in, take a step. But maybe if you came in today and you, you would say, I don't know that I've ever, I've ever received the grace of God. I've ever, I've ever surrendered my heart and received forgiveness. That's your step of faith today. Take a step today in some way, shape, or form. So let's stand together. We're gonna sing here in a second. And, um, you know, then today will be over and you'll go off to your next thing and the students will meet and you'll have fun. I'm, I am gonna leave this thing up here if you guys wanna see that. Um, But maybe, maybe as I was talking, if there is some things going on in your life, and you don't have to tell the details, but you want someone to pray with you, just head over to the next steps area in the back, my back left, your back right, and just ask somebody for some prayer. You know, if you've got something going on in your life, and you don't have to tell them the details, like I said, but just say, hey, will you pray for me? There'll be someone back there in next steps, or you can find me later. Uh, if, if you're, you know, if you're thinking about 
what your step of giving is. Just talk to God about it. So let's, let's take a second. Close your eyes and bow your head. Let's talk to God wherever you're at. If it's a hard thing, and just say, God, will you please enter into this hard thing with me? I'm going to pray for you in a second. If it's an area of financial giving that you need to talk to God about, say, God, help me. Put it, put it in my head. What is it you want? And then just say, God, will you help me to trust you in that? For some of you, um, maybe church is normal for you or maybe church isn't, but you, you, you kind of believe. You believe in God. You believe that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross. You believe that, but you haven't, you haven't wanted to give up control over your life. You, you want to be the king. <laughs> you want to be in charge of it, and, but you feel this wrestling inside and you know God is calling. He's asking you to surrender and if you know that, Here's your step, is simply surrender to Jesus today. Here's what I want you to do. Just say to God, God, I believe in you, and I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross, and I believe you rose from the grave. Just tell him that. And if, you, if you're ready, just say to Jesus right now. Say, Jesus, I am sorry. I know I've sinned against you. And I'm asking you, Jesus, will you please forgive me? And just say, Jesus, will you, will you lead me? Help me to sense your leadership in my life and help me to follow you as best I can. Will you take my small step of faith today, Jesus? Just tell him that. You need to know it's that step of faith. Is that That's what he wants, to be a kingdom citizen. He just wants your heart. And that step of faith, I'm gonna ask you to do one little thing. Jesus said, if you've acknowledged me before men, I will acknowledge you for my Father in heaven and the angels. Following Jesus means following his command, and that's one of the commands he gave. I'm gonna ask that if you just prayed that prayer, to acknowledge that between you and me and God. All I'm asking you to do is just raise your hand up. That's you in this room, yes. Just raise your hand high enough I see. I see you there in the back. Anyone else? High enough I can see. Yes, you may put your hand down. Anyone else? God, I, I know that you somehow, in the, in the middle of seven billion people and all of their stuff, you know and you care. God, we sin against you and somehow you love us. I just want to say thank you. But God, there are things in my life, there are things in people's lives here that are just so hard. And God, I ask for your grace and mercy that you help us to walk with you in the midst of this. God, let it do its work in us. Whatever you're trying to build in us to harden us and to strengthen us, whatever you're doing, God, have your way. But come on, God. I'm asking for some mercy. In some cases, God, will you change the circumstances, God? We want you to do your work, but we're, we need you. Build the trust, God. Help us, to, help us to know. And God, for the finances, God, take control. Help us to walk in that. And for those taking first steps with you, I pray, God, that they would sense your presence. It's in your son's holy name.